Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Well, I had a great privilege of welcoming you today, uh, Pastor Steve Holsinger, so why don't y'all give him a hand as he comes up this morning? Yeah! <clears throat> we are so blessed to have him here, for him to be a part. I told him I had a dream. I was doing announcements, and I was going to take one minute and took two. And in my dream, he said, hurry up. You're taking my time. Right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You can be seated. <laughs> All right. Open your Bible to what we call the book of Revelation. They would have simply called it the Revelation. And Revelation is different than any other Bible book. It's written during a time of siege, a time of warfare. And the Greek word for revelation is apocalypsis and we call there's a form of literature called apocalyptic literature that's used in wartime and in order to understand what's written or communicated you have to understand the key you have to have the key to the code it's written in code you have to have the key i believe that the key to revelation is the old testament that the thing that the church understood and knew that their enemies didn't was the bible and the uh, old testament Now, the world thinks they know Jesus, but there are aspects of Jesus that can only be known by revelation. They're only revealed to us by God, and the world doesn't know him. They think they do, but they don't. And so uh, we're going to draw our outline straight from the book. This is going to be a 30,000-foot look at the book of Revelation Uh, because it's impossible to cover all of it. Uh, But in chapter 1, verse 8, it gives us the outline. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was, who is, and who is to come, the Almighty. So there's our outline. Jesus who was, Jesus who is, and the Jesus who is to come. But in all aspects, he is the Almighty. Now, the world sometimes says, poor Jesus. I mean, they came into the world, they wrapped him in rags and put him in an animal food trough. Poor Jesus. He had very little impact. Only 120 people believed in him when he died. Poor Jesus. He was crucified and and convicted as a criminal and killed with criminals alongside Poor Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They don't understand him at all. Jesus is the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. So let's look first at the Jesus who was. Jesus who was was the hope of Israel in prophecy. The whole Old Testament is about him. From Genesis 3 on, it begins to talk about one who is coming. And Israel was unique among the nations because Israel had a hope. And Jesus was the hope of the nations and the hope of Israel. The Jesus who was was the baby in the manger. He was the son of Mary. He was the brother of James and his other siblings. He was the cousin of John the Baptist. That's Jesus who was. He was a rabbi. He was a friend of fishermen. He chose five of his apostles from Bethsaida. Interesting, little fishing village. He had a real affinity for tough guys, working men, 
who uh, put their lives on the line to go out on the sea. He was the leader, unquestioned leader of the 12 apostles. He was the healer of the sick. He was an awesome teacher. He was the crucified Savior. He is the risen and ascended Lord. That's Jesus who was. But if that's the only Jesus you know, I feel sorry for you. Because you really don't know him at all. Because we don't worship the Jesus who was. We worship the Jesus who is. Look at chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. Let me get this out. There we go. I, John, I'm in verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll, and a, a trumpet was in those days was like a siren. It was, now hear this, something important or significant is happening. Get out of the way. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So the first concern of Jesus, as he's revealed in this book, is his church. Because the, the kingdoms of this world have great power and great authority and great wealth, but they don't have the ability to save anybody. And so the first concern of Jesus is his church. And he's walking among his churches and protecting them and interacting with them. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Look what happens. Now, who is John? He's Jesus' best friend. He's the one that he he entrusted his mother to. Jesus loved John. John loved Jesus. Jesus knew John, knew him intimately. He lived with him day and night for three and a half years. John was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified. That's John. Look at the next verse. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am here. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. When John saw the Jesus who is, he didn't say, Hey, bro, let's go fishing. He didn't say, Hey, how's mom? He didn't say, how are the rest of those rascals that uh, are your fellow apostles? What did he do? He saw the Jesus who is, and the man who knew him better than anybody else passed out cold. He fell to the floor in a dead faint. 
And this should put to, to rest any of the idea of poor Jesus. You don't need to feel sorry for Jesus. But you also don't need to romanticize Jesus and say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to run, get on his lap, or he's going to be my boyfriend. He is the most powerful person in the universe. He has more glory and power and authority than you can imagine. And you're going to do exactly what John did. If you have the good fortune to be there, you're going to pass out cold. And he's going to revive you. Because he has the authority and he has the power to raise the dead. The Jesus who is. He's dressed in a robe, which was the symbol of ancient judges. It symbolized a person of authority. He's wearing a golden sash, which was the sign of wealth and nobility and power. And that sash said, don't feel sorry for me. He had hair as white as snow, which was the sign of a judge. The the British even wore a white wig for the judge. It was a sign of age and wisdom. Jesus is not 33 years old at this point. Jesus is the ancient of days. Jesus is the one who existed before time. He is the one who was with God and was God and helped create the entire universe. And so he has the symbol of age. He has eyes like flames of fire, which is symbolic of testing. You ever feel like your mom had those eyes of fire? You know, we used to joke about they'd they'd know what was going on because they had eyes in the back of their head. Uh, And so his eyes were like flames of fire. His voice is the voice of many waters. I always think of of Niagara Falls or the ocean and says, you can't describe his voice any other way. You you can't just say it's melodic or it's powerful or it's loud. It's, It's huge. It fills not just a room, it fills the universe. His voice is the voice of many waters. His words are a double-edged sword. The double-edged sword was the sword of sacrifice. His feet were molten bronze, which is the symbol of judgment and law and authority. His face shone like the sun. John saw the Shekinah glory of God. Not hidden in the shadow of a rock, the cleft of a rock, not just seeing the glow that's left when God is gone, but he saw Jesus, the Shekinah glory of God. When Moses saw the the glow that was left when God was gone, he had to wear a veil over his face because people couldn't stand to look at him. And that was just because of a reflected light. But John is seeing the direct light. No wonder he passed out. This is the Shekinah glory of God in a body. Jesus saw authority and nobility and wisdom and majesty and law and judgment and glory. John saw Jesus who is. And you need to once in a while, especially at Christmas time, you need to remind yourself, he's not in the manger anymore. He's not in the manger anymore. He's not in the tomb. He's not on the cross. He's not forgotten in history. He's not gone. He's not way out there somewhere. He's not floating around on a cloud. In fact, it says, chapters 2 and 3, he says he's walking among his churches. And the phrase that occurs over and over again in that section is, I know. I know your deeds. I know your ways. I know your persecution. I know your struggle. What's he doing? Jesus is giving the church his credentials. 
And he's saying, I'm not gone. I didn't ascend out of your sight and disappear. I just got my Godhead back. You see, while Jesus was on earth, he didn't use his God card. He didn't uh, go into a situation and throw down his uh, unlimited MasterCard and say, here, this will take care of it. He operated as a human being with limits. He wasn't able to be everywhere at the same time. He wasn't omnipresent, but he is now. He was able to be with John on the island of Patmos, but he was also able to be with the seven churches of Asia because he is God and he is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all. His his knowledge is not limited. He understands all. He knows it all. He uh, He could give you your pedigree from one end to the other. If you have a field of expertise or science, he could school you in your area of expertise because he knows all. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is the almighty. See, he's saying, that's saying he is the mightiest of the mighty. Whatever you can think of that gives the idea of might, he is that kind of might times billions. Unlimited. He is the Almighty. This is the Jesus that we serve and that we worship and who is in charge of us. And we are his church and we are his first concern. You can only know that by revelation. They needed the revelation of Jesus Christ. And remember, this is not the revelation of the end times. It's not the revelation of the last, uh, the late great planet Earth. It's not the revelation of some battle plan for the next war coming up. It's, it's not any of those things. It's the, it, what is it? It's the revelation of Jesus. It says it right at the beginning. We should, and it says, all you've got to do is read it. So just, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to be able to outline it all. You don't have to be able to explain it all. Just read it. And you know what your conclusion you'll come to if you just read it and be simple about it and just, just let it speak for itself? We win. <laughs> That's what it says. We win. We're with the one who won. He already won. The cross was not a defeat. It was the greatest victory in the history of the world. The empty tomb isn't empty because they lost him. The empty tomb is empty because he's wearing that body. Only he has glorified it. What John saw was not the Jesus who walked the dusty roads of Galilee with him. What John saw was not the Jesus that he saw bleeding and crucified on the cross with a broken heart. John didn't see the the, uh, friend who would take care of his mother. John saw Jesus, who is. John saw the real Jesus, the Jesus that had never been seen before until now. Jesus, who is. I hope this will change your perspective on who you worship. What's he doing? Well, above all else, he's among his churches, chapter 2 and 3. Chapter 4... Uh, he's a savior. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in, in the Spirit, 
And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that uh, shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. What's that saying? Saying above all else, Jesus is the Savior. He's the one who sits on the throne. That might be frightening. But remember how this throne is portrayed. This throne is sitting on a crystal sea, glass. This throne is at the center of the universe. There's one seated on the throne. And he's surrounded by gemstones, emeralds and sardonyx and all all kinds of precious gems. What's that going to produce? The light of the glory of Jesus the judge seated on a golden throne on a crystal sea is going to produce a huge rainbow. And what's what's the symbol of the rainbow? God's not going to judge his people again. He's saying this is a throne, but it's not a throne to judge and condemn people. It's a throne of salvation. It's a throne that saves because Jesus, who sits on the throne, is a savior. He's not coming back to condemn the world. He's coming back to save them. He's not coming back to shame us. He's coming back to get us because of who he is. He is a savior. The question comes up in in chapter 4, verse 11. Who is worthy to open the scroll? I believe that the scroll is history. And it comes to a moment in in John's perception where it has to be decided whether history is going to go on or not. And there was silence in heaven for half an hour. And John wept and wept because he understood there was something that needed to happen that wasn't happening. It couldn't happen. If history is up to us, there's no point in going on. I don't care who your favorite candidate is. If history history is up to him or up to them, we're toast. There's no point in going on because they don't have a clue. I mean, we, we are getting more exposure of our leaders than we've ever had, and they're disgusting. And we're not... We're not encouraged, we're not thrilled, we're not, we're not uh, optimistic. But we can be, we can be because there's, there's a throne at the center of the universe. And, he's not, and there's one on the throne, and he's not running for election. He's already been inaugurated. He's in charge. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings. So the question comes, who is worthy to open the scroll? It's an interesting question. It's not who's powerful enough to open the scrolls. It's not who's been given the authority to open the scrolls. It's saying who is worthy. You see, we have a ruler. We have a savior. We have a God at the center of the universe who is holy. And he is worthy. And so the song of heaven is worthy is the lamb. 
to receive honor and glory and blessing and power. We sang the song this morning because that's who Jesus is. He is worthy. No one else is worthy. And the, the tragedy that John wept about was there's, if salvation's up to us, it can't happen. If salvation is because of religion, it'll never happen. If salvation is because we get our act together and we become good people and we become good enough, it'll never happen. It'll only happen because there is one who is worthy. And so he appears, the lamb appears, a lamb freshly slain, not the lion of the tribe of Judah, roaring, but a lamb with his throat cut, a sacrifice. The only one worthy. You see... Jesus is telling us in Revelation that unless he, unless he succeeded at his task, there was no point in the world going on. If Jesus had stepped away from the cross, history would have ended. There'd be no reason to go on. The only reason that history went on after the crucifixion was the resurrection. The only reason that history went on after the crucifixion and the resurrection is that Jesus ascended. The greatest doctrine of scripture is the ascension of Jesus Christ because he didn't ascend to a cloud. He didn't ascend to a fluffy place with angels floating around. He ascended to the throne of the universe. He ascended to the ultimate power place in the universe. It's his throne because... He is worthy. That's the Jesus who is. The Jesus who is told John and the others in John 14, don't, don't worry. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus, who is this powerful figure that John saw, is preparing a place for you and me. Can you imagine what he could get accomplished in 2,000 years? It's mind-boggling. He's preparing a place. And he said, "And as I prepare a place, I'll come back and bring you to myself. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the last view you'll see in this life are your loved ones gathered around your bed to say goodbye. And the first thing you'll see over there is the face of Jesus saying, welcome home. They'll be saying on this side, he's gone, she's gone. And he'll be saying on that side, she's here, he's here. Come. And enjoy what's been prepared for you. That's the Jesus who is. The Jesus who is is preparing a place for us. The Jesus who is is ushering his saints into the presence of God and saying, we won again. We won again. Another victory. This is followed by seven visions that challenge the power and authority of Jesus. You have the beast, which is Satan. You have plagues. You have false teachers. You have warfare. You have natural disasters. You have governments that arise and oppose the church and persecute the church and kill Christians. You have deceiving spirits that come in among the churches. You have economic disaster. And Why is all this included? You know what the Revelation is saying about economic disasters and downturns and natural disasters and warfare and false teachers that rise up and lead people astray and all the things that are in the seven visions, the seven, the plagues. You see, COVID isn't any problem for him. It's not a problem for him. Economic downturn is not a problem for him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. 
When he sees we measure the depth of an economic problem, he says, you haven't even scratched the surface of my wealth. It's not a problem. You see, so the revelation is saying, yes, all these things will happen. They're not, they're, not a, they're not evidence that the world's out of control. The world is under control, and the world is under the control of the one who sits on the throne. And he has his purposes. Now, you don't understand what he's doing. I don't understand what he's doing. I don't know how his sovereignty has uh, effect on um, the pandemic. I don't know why he's letting all these people die. I think he's trying to get our attention. I think he's trying to tell us, you don't understand half of what you think you do. You're not nearly as in charge as you think you are. And the best thing you can do is, well, you might try doing what John did. Just give it up and pass out. (laughs) And when you come to, say, I surrender. You're in charge. And that's really the message of the gospel. Surrender to the King of Kings. Surrender to the one who is the Lord of Lords. Surrender to the one who is Almighty. And be willing to say, no, I don't understand it. No, I don't know why. No, I don't like it. And I can't change it. But I know the one who can. And I know the one who will. And I know the one who's really in charge. Jesus wins. That's the message. All these plagues and warfare and famines and false teachers and frogs and uh, you name it that that come through the visions to John. The end result is Jesus wins. There's a great battle scene where millions upon millions of soldiers are gathered on the plains of Megiddo. Big valley, a plain just below Mount Carmel where Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. And millions of soldiers are gathered on the plains of Armageddon. And everybody talks about it. What a horrible, you know, but they, they overlook one thing. They say, we're building up to it. The Chinese are building up to it. The, uh, you know, Iran's out of control. All of these things are going on. And, but if you go to the book of Revelation and you have the nations gathered at Armageddon for battle to do warfare, the one thing you can't overlook A figure rides onto the scene in a white stallion with a sword coming out of his mouth. And you know what the soldiers do? They do just what he did in the, they did in the garden when Jesus said, you looking for me? They fell down and worshipped. There's no battle. The battle of Armageddon never takes place. There's no battle. Because you can't do battle with him. When they see who John saw unprepared without the eyes of faith, They're terrified. They do what John did. The soldiers coming up to conquer the the lamb and to win the victory and take over the world. They do what John did. They pass out cold. Because this is the lamb. This This is the one who is. But he's also the one who will be. Now we're going to buzz ahead. We have to. To chapter 19. Verse 11. The Jesus who will be. John nineteen eleven through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. 
His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's a warrior. He's the judge. He's the word of God. He leads the hosts of heaven. He's at the center of the universe. And he will make himself apparent to the whole world. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. They'll surrender to him. That's what happens on Judgment Day. That's what happens when Jesus returns. Chapter 20, verse 11. Who is the Jesus who is to come? He's the judge. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled away, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not written, found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus will be the judge. Judgment day hasn't come yet, but it's coming. And here's the message. Nobody ever got away with anything. You see, you can't fool him. You can't cheat him. You can't manipulate him. You can't make him do what you want. You will do what he wants. Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the almighty. He is the judge. He will be be welcoming us. He'll be welcoming us. Uh, the hosts of heaven will welcome his own to the place that he's even now preparing. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You see, Jesus is not just building a mansion. He's not just building a big hotel with lots of rooms. He's building a whole new world. A perfect world where righteousness dwells, where there's no sin, no death, no death, no pain. Nothing that takes away from the beauty of the experience of knowing him. There was no longer any sea. See, there wasn't a need for a a disposal site for all the garbage of the world. You don't need a sea in a place that's perfect. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. What's the result of judgment? It's not condemnation. 
It's all things made new. It's Jesus revealing what he's been doing for 2,000 years and saying, looky what I did. Look what I made for you. He can't wait. He doesn't know when the day or the time will be, but he's anticipating it, and he can't wait. Because he's looking forward to showing you what he's done. He's looking forward to celebrating his churches. He's looking forward to saying to the world with their scoffing and their uh, dismissal of the church, look, look at here. These are my people. These are my people. This is my place. The Jesus who will be is the host, the host of heaven, welcoming his own to the place that he even now is preparing. Chapter 21, verse 16, describes a glorious capital city lit by Jesus' presence. 21, 16, let me see here. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. It's a, a cube, just like the Holy of Holies. He, he, he measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurements and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth tur- uh, turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made with a single pearl. They've never closed. They're always open. The great streets of the city were, were of gold as pure as transparent glass. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the gates, the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Every nation will bring the glory of their nation, their ethnicity, all the things that are unique about them as a nation. And there'll be parades as they come through those gates wide open and parade down the golden corridor in the presence of the Lamb, in the presence of the Father, saying, for this we were born, for this we were created, and you are worthy. It'll be a place of worship. It'll have a huge rainbow shining over it. Wherever you are on the new earth, you're, someone will ask, what's that? And you'll say, that's the rainbow. That's the new Jerusalem. That's the presence of God. That's our salvation. Chapter 22, verse 17. The conclusion. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, they don't say repent. They don't say run. They don't say hide. They say come. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears these words 
If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to them the plagues that are written in this book. And it ends this way. Yes, I'm coming soon. The Jesus who will be is on his way. History is hurtling through space, waiting for the presence of the Lamb, for the King of glory to take his throne and to rule. And someday we'll see the Jesus who will be. He is our King. Let's run that video, Joey. The Bible says my King is the King of the Jews. He's the King of Israel. He's the King of righteousness. He's the King of the ages. He's the King of heaven. He's the King of glory. He's the King of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. 
death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king! That's my king! Amen. That's right. Well, do you know him, right? Huh? Amen, amen, right? So, amen. Well, listen, how about giving Pastor Steve Holsinger a great hand today? Is that word? Huh? <clears throat> wouldn't, wouldn't you like him to do some more of that, huh? Wouldn't you like him to do some more of that, right? Maybe next year we, we, we can't do like a, uh, it's hard to break down a Bible book in, in 30, 40 minutes, but we could, what if we took a book and did a couple of weeks on it? What if we could talk him into doing a couple of weeks, huh? What do you think, huh? Would that be cool? All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if I can, you know, see what I can do there. I'm, I'm sure he'd be glad to. He, he's a great friend, a great preacher, and uh, uh, someone with a lot of wisdom and experience. You know, what I love about our church is you're going to find groups of people in every age bracket: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's kids that are learning about Jesus. Those of us kind of like trying to figure out how to handle all these kiddos. Those of you who might be a little older, our grandparents' age, or whatever. There's wisdom. And, you know, we're all grown in different places, but I love the fact that in our church you have an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob grouping of people. It's not all just one age. I don't, I don't think a church should be just one age. You can't learn from one another. And so the beauty of having someone like Steve share a word like that is uh, he's been doing this a long time. And I value his wisdom. And I thought it was a great word about the book of Revelation. And so uh, today I just want to pray for you if, if you're here or maybe you're watching online as well and maybe you don't know him. I would like to give you that opportunity uh, today. And so, would you take a moment there, just right where you are, just close your eyes and bow your head. And at, at home as well, maybe you're with your family, and you're watching online, and you just clicked on, and you're like, I don't know if I know this Jesus. I've been told he would um, not accept me. But the, the reality is, Jesus will accept anyone who turns to him. His blood, uh, it does not discriminate. It doesn't. Look at anyone and say, well, no, it's not for you. It's His blood is for anyone who will turn to him. And so if you're at home right now watching, we want to pray for you and everyone in here as well. We're going to pray this prayer together. I'm going to lead you in this. If you're at home, just pray and just repeat this after me. It's a prayer of surrender like Steve just said. So just with your eyes closed and uh, your, you know, your head bowed right there out of reverence before him, just pray this with this whole church. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. And I surrender my life to you. I turn to you today. And I ask you to save me. To forgive me and to cleanse me. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Man, if you prayed that prayer, we are so proud of you. Right, church? Would you give me a hand? Amen. So proud of you, and uh, what we'd love for you to do right now if you're watching online or in this room as well, you can go to connect.cornerstonerome. We'd love to get you started walking with God, give you some materials, get you anything you might need. It should be in the text screen there on your on your screens or computers, phones, whatever you're watching on TV. It'll pop up right there, connect.cornerstonerome.com. If you're in here and you need help in any of those areas, and walking with Christ, you need some help getting started in your, in your journey with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that as well. And so um, before you go, just a reminder, next week again, Next week is online only. We'll be streaming everything online. It's going to be a great time. You're going to love it with your family. Um, and then just want to say thank you for this year. Thank you for all that you've done. Uh, I've had different people ask me different questions about end of year stuff. Um, if you're giving anything, you have till December 31st at midnight. Um, we are bound by, uh, if you want to get tax deductions or anything like that, we're bound by those laws. We cannot, you know, you got to get in before midnight. 
postmark it online, whatever you want to do. It's got to be in so we can record it. But uh, if, if you're wanting to do something extra like that, just make sure it's in before the end of the year. And uh, just know that what you're doing this year has made a huge difference in the lives of so many people. And across the world, there's some things we're going to do here at Christmas time for some of our missionaries that we were able to do because of what you did this month. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. You know, um, it's going to be really cool next year to see some things God's doing. And I uh, can't wait for the first year as we start a new series and begin a new thing and uh, just see what the Lord's up to, as Steve said. I don't know what he's doing either. One thing I've realized this year, though, guess who's not in control? Me. You're not in control either. Kind of already should have known that, but you kind of get a wake-up call like, yeah, I'm not in control of anything. Best I can do is steward what he's given me. That's all I can do. So today, as you stand to your feet this morning, let me speak this over you before we go. And uh, just know that we love you guys. We're praying for you. God's best for you over this Christmas season. That you love with your family. Spend time with people. Forgive people. Release people. Man, try to just enjoy this week here and, and just love on people. Let Jesus love on you. And so this is out of Numbers chapter 6. And we always like to speak this over you before we leave. This is the Lord's uh, pronouncement of blessing that he gave to Moses. said, tell Aaron to speak this over Israel. And whenever you do... He said, I myself will bless them. This is not a priestly thing that is coming from a man. He's just the mouthpiece for God. He said, when you do this, I myself will bless them. And so this is something I've been praying over my family and over you for quite some time. I'd love you to take a moment and just receive uh, this pronouncement over your life and over your home. It says this, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, and may he give you his peace. That is the pronouncement of God and the blessing of your homes this year. And going into next year, we just speak that over you and just declare in Jesus' name, peace and blessing over your homes in the name of Jesus. And we love you guys so much, man. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Steve, again, if you can, here before you leave. And God bless you guys. We'll see you first of the year. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.